0: Welcome to the study of the book of Revelation, taught by Michael Fitzgerald, senior pastor of Clifford Baptist Church. These lessons come from a Wednesday night study of the book, so the format is more of a classroom setting. Included in this Revelation series are written study notes which can be accessed with each lesson in the series. We are going to go to Revelation chapter 19 tonight, and I have good news for you. The Great Tribulation is now over, (laughs) as far as the Bible study goes. We still have Armageddon, we still have some things to go through yet, but uh, at the end of chapter 18, we see the, uh, the, the, final, uh, the final giving of great tribulation to the earth, and so now tonight we're, we are going to study something that is good news, that applies to you and me as we look at chapter 19, as we open that chapter. This has been a, an emotional awesome study. I pray that this study has affected you as it has me as we look forward to the days that God is going to draw earth's history to a close, those final seven years where God is evening up giving payment for all the sin and wickedness and unrighteousness and hard-heartedness that has taken place in, the, in these days in this world. We have studied God's character of patience and endurance that is on your sheet And as we think about His patience with human sin, there does come a time in God's timeline when the Almighty says, I have had enough, and now it is time to deal with, to repay sinners and sinful attitudes. Now, beginning with chapter 4 of Revelation, we see God's prophecy, we see His future of how He is going to deal with sin. And I want you to remember, of course, that these events have not taken place yet. This is a look at the earth's future. But sometime in our future, and I do believe uh, on the heels of the Daniel study, that this future day is coming very soon. I'm not saying five minutes or five years, but I am saying it is coming very soon with regard to the years of this earth. But sometime in the near future, God is going to rapture or extract his church out of this world, and when the light of the world is taken out, when the salt of the earth is extracted from the earth, he is going to then present his son, Jesus Christ, the deed of the scroll of ownership of heaven and earth. There is no one in all the universe who can touch or handle that scroll other than the Son, Jesus. He has the authority to have that deed of ownership. He is worthy to have it because he paid the ultimate purchase price for it in that he laid down his life on the old rugged cross that sinners, including me and you, may indeed be saved through faith by his grace. So as God gives Jesus this scroll of ownership, Jesus individually breaks seven successive seals on that scroll. And of course, you know from Sunday school how a scroll is rolled up. As it is unrolled, it comes to seal after seal. And as they are broken, with the breaking of every seal, a tribulation, which is a God-ordained punishment, is delivered to the earth for repayment of sin. Now, when the seventh seal is broken, after the seventh seal is broken, seven trumpets blow, each with a punishment that is delivered to the earth. When the seventh trumpet blows, the final phase of the great tribulation begins in that seven bowls or vials of wrath are poured out on the earth. And this is the last and worst half of the great tribulation period. When the seventh bowl of wrath is delivered to the earth, the great tribulation is finished. It is over. So we completed our study of the great tribulation last week. Chapter 18, we read about the fall of the world's system. It is called Babylon, and the finances and all the political powers of the world have folded in. When the great tribulation concludes, the kingdom of Antichrist which we call Babylon, is then destroyed. The entire political structure of the earth collapses. Well, then what happens next? Two suppers take place. We see them both in Revelation chapter 19. Tonight we're going to study the first one, which is a supper of joy. And then next week when we open God's Word, we're going to study the second supper, which is a supper of judgment. So tonight is a Supper of Joy. Next week, a Supper of Judgment. When we study this Supper of Joy tonight, it is called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. This is good news, and we will participate in it as believers in the Lord Jesus. So tonight we're going to read Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Hear these words from God's precious word in the book of the Revelation And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia! Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are His judgments. For He hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of His servants at her hand. And again... They said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye His servants, and ye that fear Him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and His wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God, and I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, see thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. May God add his blessing to the reading of this precious and joyful portion Of his word in the book of revelation chapter 19 when the great tribulation is complete the union of the church with jesus is likened unto a huge elaborate wedding now how many of you like weddings i like weddings i I know the morcoms like weddings because one is coming in their family uh, within the next year Uh, And, you know, as many weddings as I have done over the years, they never get boring. They never get routine. Uh, Every couple is beautiful in the sight of God when they come before the Lord to be married. Uh, And especially with a wedding, the, the part that is never boring is the rehearsal. You never know what's going to happen, happen in a wedding rehearsals. Now, some rehearsals are timed out, and when that bride and her director come through the door, they know the exact lineup of the bridesmaids and, and the best man and the groomsmen. They know all how the maid of honor is going to move in that, uh, in that service. It is planned out like clockwork, and those rehearsals move straight along, and they're not hard. So remember that, uh, Morecambe family. Kim and Greg, you all remember about that, that uh, organized rehearsal. But then there are some rehearsals that are like a zoo because the couple walks in and they say, what do we do now? And so you start planning that rehearsal from scratch and it takes a long time, but every wedding is unique and every wedding is special in the eyes of God. Uh, I read a story about one little preacher who was doing his very, very first wedding. And he was really nervous about performing the wedding service. In fact, he sometimes got his words crossed up. He got to the very end, and he finally got so tangled up, he said, it is customary for the groom to cuss the bride. (laughs) Well, God chose a wedding to describe the moment that he becomes one with his church. At this wedding, we will no longer look in the glass darkly, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, but rather we are going to see our Savior face to face. We're going to understand his love in a complete way. As you look at chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, you will see an angel Tell the writer John about three distinct divisions within the church's wedding to the Lord Jesus Christ. The first division of this wedding, the first of three phases of the wedding, takes place in verses one through six. And what we see is on your sheet the anticipation of the wedding service. In an earthly wedding, somewhere maybe an hour, 45 minutes ahead of time, cars are starting to stream in and find their parking places. People are beginning to come into the sanctuary, and and the groomsmen are placing them in their seats where they're supposed to be. The prelude music is now playing. In the preparatory division of the great wedding of Jesus with His church, we see a chorus of hallelujahs take place. Four times in these six verses, we see hallelujah. And by the way, do you know that there are two universal words in the Bible? No matter if the Bible is written in Chinese written in German, written in uh, some other language, there are two universal terms in the Bible that are always the same. And no matter where you are in all the world, you're going to say the same words. The first one is hallelujah. The second one is Amen. Those two words in every Bible of every language do not change. Hallelujah, of course, means praise God, praise the Lord. Amen means we are in agreement with His will and with His Word. But I want you to look at the first hallelujah, which is in verse 1 of chapter 19. All the angelic hosts of heaven, notice they say salvation and honor and power and glory belong solely unto the lord jesus christ notice in scripture it says that those words are said they're not sung Uh, do you remember that uh, i have said along the way that uh, angels according to the word of god do not sing but rather they speak they chant But we see no evidence in the Bible that angels sing. Now, I will tell you this. There was one gentleman in this church, Dave Mudry. And Dave had uh, a disease, and he knew he was going home very soon. And in one of my last visits with him, he said, Pastor, I have heard you say to me many times that in God's word it says angels don't sing. But I want you to know I have heard them sing. So I'm not saying they don't sing, but I am saying there's no word in the Bible of angels singing. But heaven's citizenship is chanting the salvation being a free gift of God's grace, and we honor him because he offers us that salvation by way of the cross and by his grace. So the first hallelujah is bringing honor and glory to the Lord Jesus. Now, the second hallelujah is in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 19. Let's look at those verses. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, hallelujah, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. Heaven is rejoicing, Because God has come to the point in His holy will that He has completely judged sin. He will no longer be mocked. He will no longer be turned against. He will never be cursed again. God has judged sin. And the saints rejoice that the Lord God Almighty will never again have His name used in vain, He will never again be taken for granted. He has judged sin. He has shown the universe that indeed He is Lord God. And hell, heaven celebrates that He has made that statement. Hallelujah, number three, in the preparatory phase. We're still in the first phase of the wedding. Hallelujah, number three, is in verses four and five. Let's look at those verses again. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne saying, praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him both small and great. So we say hallelujah because everyone, whether they were small or great, whether they were imported in an earthly sense, or whether they were lowly in an earthly sense, Small or great, everyone has that same intimate love relationship with Jesus as Lord and Savior and as the bride of Jesus. He loves you and me equally no matter who we are. If we are saved by his blood, we are equally loved in his presence. Small and great, love the same way. You know, I remember as a boy asking my mom, of course I had a a younger sister, her name is Patty. And I would ask mom, do you love Patty or me better? And, and her answer was always the same. You know, I love you both the same. And I understand that now with two children of my own, the, the love is the same. It's, it's, it's as a son and a daughter, it's different, but it's the same. Do you understand? I'm sure parents, you understand what I'm saying. Uh, you love your children the same. You won't have to ask that question of Jesus. Do you love me as much as you love someone else? The Word of God tells us that He loves us all with the same love. He will love you and me as equally as He loves Billy Graham. He will love you and me as equally as that person who has lived in the slums, uh, that person who has lived in a grass hut in Africa, he loves us all the same when we come to Jesus as Lord and Savior. There will be no distinction of love in heaven. Isn't that good news? All of us loved the same. That's the third hallelujah. The fourth hallelujah is in verse 6, chapter 19. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, "Hallelujah!" for the Lord God omnipotent, reigneth that sounds like it comes from the hallelujah chorus doesn't it actually the hallelujah chorus came from that all the voices of heaven join together in this mighty deafening chorus saying our god reigns that's on your sheet our god reigns our god is in control Our God has the reins of control of the universe. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. And at this point, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. So the four hallelujahs are the first division of this great wedding. Here comes the second phase now of the wedding. And by the way, remember, this is our wedding. You and I are going to be here. This is telling us what we are going to see, what we are going to take part in one day as believers in the Lord Jesus. After the hallelujahs, the bride comes out. Believe me, in a wedding here, when those two doors swing open and there's the bride and and her escort, that's one of the high points of the wedding. Everybody is straining around trying to see through the door but when the bride enters that's a high point of the wedding she of course in revelation is the church of Jesus Christ that is the bride of Christ so as we read this we bear in mind that picture of the bride being us we are part of this wedding service we along with all the Christians of the ages are Jesus bride look at uh, chapter 19 verses 7 and 8 Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. These verses tell us that at this great wedding service, the bride, the church is absolutely beautiful absolutely radiant, adorned and decorated and prepared for her wedding to Jesus. You know, in all the weddings I've done, I've never had a wedding with a homely bride. All the brides have always been beautiful. And of course, every lady does her best to be beautiful for her wedding service. I will tell you that one time I read Adrian Rogers said that he'd never seen a bride that wasn't beautiful but some just barely made it. (laughs) Now, that's a quote from Adrian Rogers. I would never say that. But we see here the church is Jesus' bride, and that bride is beautiful. That bride is radiant. You notice that she's dressed in white. She is pure. She is ready for the wedding to her husband, we see the church as Jesus' bride, and we know that we being his bride one day means right now, right now, we're engaged to him, right? We're in a period of engagement with the one who is going to be our husband as we see this service taking place in Revelation 19. I want you to listen right down this reference on your sheet, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. And you can go to this reference sometime, but Paul says to the church at Corinth, and these are God's words, "'For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ.'" Now, according to the King James Version, Paul says that we Christians are espoused to Jesus. Those are words of God given by Paul. We are espoused to Jesus in these days. Now, that term is stronger than the word engaged. And engagement can be broken. Espousal cannot be broken simply by saying, I've changed my mind. I don't want to do this anymore. Do you remember that Joseph had an espoused wife, Mary. And if you remember before their official wedding service, when Joseph was considering not to marry her, it said he would have to divorce her. He would have to do a lawful act in order to break the espousal. When you break an engagement, you simply say, I'm not interested anymore. You go your way, I'll go mine. But espousal is much deeper than that In these days, you and I are espoused to Christ as our Lord and Savior and husband. The marriage of the church to Jesus Christ is for all eternity, and it is indeed going to take place. It is a rock-solid promise. Jesus is not going to break our espousal. Now, what do future husbands give future brides as a promise that they're going to marry? an engagement ring. What has Jesus given us as the promise that we're going to be married? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God living in us is the assurance of God that we belong to Him and one day we will be married to him. That is on your sheet. He gives us the Holy Spirit as that promise of espousal that one day we will be in total union together. Now, you know, I've certainly heard tales of arguments between engaged couples where she takes the engagement ring off of her finger and flings it back at him or across the room. You can remove a ring, you can break an engagement, but the Holy Spirit in a saved person is here to stay when the Holy Spirit moves into your life and my life as children of God he is not going to leave us we have security of salvation. We have security that the Spirit of God is not going to leave us ever again. We can't cast the Spirit of God from our heart. Would We certainly would never want to, but we cannot cast the Holy Spirit of God away when we are truly saved. He is here with us to stay. And that is the promise that one day from this situation where we still deal with sin, we still deal with brokenness, One day, the Holy Spirit assures us all of that will be done and we will be perfectly at union with our husband, Jesus the Christ. Now, first part of the wedding is the prelude of four hallelujahs. The second part of the wedding is when the beautiful bride, the church, appears. Now, here's the third division of the heavenly wedding. Look at verse 9, chapter 19. And he saith unto me, write... Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. All of the host of heaven, from the angels to the 24 elders, to the patriarchs of the Old Testament days, to the sages, to the prophets, and to also the faithful followers of God prior to the churches coming uh, to the earth. All of the Old Testament saints are going to celebrate the bride at the marriage supper of the Lamb. All of heaven is going to rejoice. All of heaven is going to be a part of this wedding service that Jesus is now married. You know, I remember a long time ago, and this occurred to me today, a long time ago, a child asked me, why did Jesus never get married? And I gave a really lame answer. I said, well, I guess he was busy. I guess uh, he had a lot of ministry to do and he, he traveled all the time and he, he just had so many things. That was the wrong answer. I wish I remember who that child was so I could go back and straighten this out. Jesus did not get married in his 33 years on this earth for one primary reason. He was saving himself for his bride, that we read about in Revelation 19. Jesus is only going to be married one time. And we see the wedding here. And that, people of God, is a marriage to us, his church, his beloved. Now remember as we read chapter 19, an angel is telling John about this great wedding. And when John sees the marriage of the church to Jesus Christ... He is just so overcome with joy and emotion that he commits a faux pas. He commits a social blunder. He is so overwhelmed that he falls down to worship this angel. And the angel says, well, hey, get up. Don't worship me. I am nothing more than a fellow servant. Just as you are a servant of God, I am nothing more than a fellow servant of God. You don't, do not worship me. You worship him. You stand up. Don't fall down before me. Let me ask you this. The Bible is always consistent. It says here that, uh, that um, John falls down before this angel Uh, in in chapter 19 verse 10 where did this angel come from well I backtracked to find out if you look back at chapter 17 the first verse chapter 17 it says and there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me saying unto me, come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. So we see the angel assisting John as all this final judgment phase takes place, but it seems that as chapter 19 opens, that this same angel is with John. John says, I've heard voices from the throne. He hears other voices coming, but this Angel of chapter 17, verse 1, seems to be consistent that it's the same angel that has assisted him and taught him as uh, we get to chapter 19. I also checked that out with a a few other commentaries, and and we're in agreement with that as I backtrack and found where that angel actually came from. That angel showed John the destruction of Babylon and the world system and then leads directly into the marriage supper of the Lamb. Well, let's conclude with one very important verse. Look at the last part of verse 10. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That means that every word of your Old Testament points to Jesus. Every word of your New Testament tells us about a living, risen Savior Every page of the Bible, in some form or fashion, has a picture of Jesus on it. Every chapter of this holy word is an arrow that points to the Son of God. The entirety of Revelation unveils Him as Lord and God and Savior. Let me say it one more time as we started this study this is not called the book of Revelations, it's not plural. It's only revelation. It is the revealing of Jesus, the Son of God, as we know him and as we're going to know him. So as we see Jesus unveiled as Lord and God and Savior... We realize that the book of Revelation and the entirety of the Bible tells us that we are to praise God, we are to honor God, and He is to be the crux of our life. He's to be the fulcrum of our life on which everything else balances. Our marriages, our children, our homes, our jobs, our worship, everything balances on the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Shame on the Christian who doesn't have time to come to church. Shame on the believer who can't find time for prayer or can't find time to open this word on a daily basis. Everything we live and breathe and do focuses on our future husband. If we are truly the people of God, we're always thinking about our future husband. How many ladies here, a month, two months, three months, You were engaged. You set a date. Didn't you think about him every day? Didn't you think? Yes, you did. (laughs) Every day. (laughs) While you took care of all the normal business of your life, and you went to your job, and you bought your groceries, and you paid your electric bill, every day you thought about that day, that day of your wedding that day when you would be joined as a wife to a husband. And believe me, we, we future husbands thought about that day too, every day, every day. That's the way we should be thinking about this coming marriage of eternity. It should be on our minds every day. You know, the Bible teaches us that our earthly marriages are indeed broken, broken by death. Once, once we pass away from this earth, that, that earthly marriage commitment is done. But the commitment to Jesus for us and the commitment of Jesus to us is eternal. We should think about that wedding every day. You know, I've never performed a wedding where the bride did not want to give herself completely to her husband. Mind, body, soul. Every wedding I've done has a spirit of earthly permanence. And that couple is saying in an earthly wedding, I'm going to stay with you and love you and walk with you and support you and encourage you every day of this earthly journey. Through health and sickness, poverty and wealth, good and bad, I'm going to be with you. Now, human beings sometimes don't always make it through those vows. It doesn't always work out. But every wedding begins that way. Every wedding begins in that spirit. And the Bible assures us that Jesus made a promise to you and to me. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will never be unfaithful to you. I will never divorce you. I will never cast you out to find a greener pasture. His promise through the ages is one that we can depend on. We belong to him now and we will belong to him for all eternity, and we can trust him in that. He is faithful, and he is true. So as we think about our Savior true to us, the question that really comes to us is, as his future bride, are we true to him? Are our lives in every way true to the one who will be our husband for all eternity? That's a question that only you can answer, and I can answer for myself. And, of course, there are some ways that I need to be more faithful to the one who's going to be my future husband. And I pray that you can look in ways in your life and how you honor him in your espousal to him. All of us need to think about that good marriage to come, and we need to get on our knees and say, Lord God, in these days... I will be faithful to you. I'm not going to run around on you. I'm not going to look at others in my life. My eyes are for you and for you alone. Tonight, as we pray together, may we tell him, Lord God, our Savior Jesus Christ, I'm going to be faithful to you in these days. I want to be faithful to you in our espousal because one day we're going to be married and I want to be faithful to you now. If there's one in this place or one who will hear this teaching sometime in the future, if you've never come to Jesus as Savior, I want you to know that He earned the right for you to be His bride and that He went to an old rugged cross and He paid the price of your sin and my sin so that through faith we could accept Him as our Savior. And we can enter into that period of espousal in these earthly days so that one day we will belong to him as his bride for all eternity if you've never accepted him as your savior this is the moment that you can say lord jesus i do want you i need you you did die for me on the old rugged cross and you are a living savior rose from the grave on the third day and tonight i receive you as my savior i enter into that period in which i know one day You're going to keep me forever and ever and ever as your bride. If you need him, he's waiting for you. He wants you. He wants you.